Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's a doubleheader that the Indians lose both. First game, Detroit 9, Cleveland 4. Second game, Detroit 7, Cleveland 1. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And it was a rough late night for us Indians fans. And I don't understand. I don't understand why they forced us to stay up until, I don't know when that game ended. I I ducked out around 11.30 midnight. I don't understand why they forced us to stay up until 1 in the morning to finish a baseball game. The morning in Cleveland was gorgeous. I can tell you this because I was out on the lake. I can tell you it was a beautiful morning in Cleveland. There's no reason they couldn't have. I mean, if the Red Sox can do it on Patriots Day, right? They play like a 10 a.m. game in Boston. It's great. Everybody enjoys it. You don't think people would have had the game on while they were at work? Kids who are home from school, you know, for the summer would have had the game on. The only audience you would have lost was maybe some of the audience in attendance at the game, right? People wouldn't have been able to go down to the game. But there wasn't that many people at that second game anyways. It was it was barely, there was what, maybe 5,000 people at that second game, if that. So what were they doing? Why try to squeeze in two seven-inning games starting at 645? When was the first pitch? 640, 650? Why try to squeeze in two games that late? When you had the whole freaking day. It didn't start raining really bad in Cleveland until like, I don't know, 2, two o'clock maybe, 2, 3 o'clock. You had plenty of time to squeeze in a seven-inning game, then let the storms pass, and then come back and play your night game. But instead, they force us to stay up ridiculously late, and they don't even put on a good show. They played pretty freaking miserable in that second game. So let's get into it. Let's get into the storylines. We were we were going off on Twitter last night, uh, having a conversation about Cal Quantrill, and uh, you know, honest to God, these guys just need to throw strikes. They just need to stop nibbling. Stop. I don't know what they're trying, but they should be trying to throw some strikes. And uh, Quantrill eventually gets there. Eventually, it started off pretty rough. Eventually, we're talking the first game first. You know, makes sense. Uh, eventually, Quantrill finishes on 67 pitches, 43 strikes, which is decent. It's a decent showing. But it did not start out that way, especially especially in that second inning. And on the pitch illustrator here, I can actually break it down by inning. And I can tell you in the first inning, he was pounding the strike zone. He was. He was attacking. And it was a decent inning. He gives up a single. Uh, three balls are put in play, but uh, he makes some outs. And he's attacking with the slider, attacking with the sinker. Throws a couple of sinkers high, misses high with one slider, but everything else is attacking the strike zone. And it's a good inning for Quantrill. Second inning, not so good. And he's missing all over the place. He's missing to the left. From Remember, the illustrators from the catcher's view. Missing to the left with his sinker, missing down with his sinker. I don't know, maybe these were attempts at getting a guy to chase, but... Missing down with a sinker. And then the slider, he's pulling way across the zone. Can't locate that. And he has a terrible inning. Gives up three hits in that inning. Two singles and a double. Gives up a couple of runs. And uh, 
yeah, he does get two strikeouts eventually, but 33 pitches here, it is not pretty. Um, let's see here. How many? Of 33, 11 were balls. Now, obviously, he got a little bit of chase outside the zone here. Maybe he got some contact outside the zone, but 11 balls on 33 pitches. So that's not good. Third inning comes back and has a bounce back inning. Again, does give up a single, has a strikeout, though, and shuts them down in this inning. This one is much better. On 15 pitches, only three balls. Much better inning. And the results show. Now, we were talking about this, and someone said, well, his walk rate isn't that bad. Okay, his walk rate might not be that bad, but his by not getting ahead in the count, by pitching from behind, He's forced to come back and put pitches in the zone. And those pitches are getting hit. So he might not be giving up the walks. But by being behind in the count, he becomes a much more hittable pitcher. Okay, cool. So his baseball reference page is updated from yesterday's start. So he's 0-2 on the season in six games. Uh, I'm sorry, 24 games. Six games started. So... His walk rate is actually climbed. His walk and his strikeout rate both climbed, I think, a little yesterday because I remember looking at it during the game. And his walk rate is now three walks per nine innings. His strikeout rate is seven per nine innings. That is uh, the 3.0 on the walks is close to his highest of his career. Uh, When he was with San Diego in 2020, he was at 3.1 before he came to us. Um, and then his strikeout rate, this is the lowest of his career. Now, what's really concerning is that the strikeout-to-walk ratio is 2.29, which means he's not really, um, even though he's limiting walks, he's not really getting the strikeouts that we need from a starting pitcher to dominate as a starting pitcher. So I think this is part of the problem here. His ERA plus is okay, He's at 111, which means he is a, he's above league average when it comes to actually giving up runs. Uh, but his whip is the highest of his career, 1.411 whip. So walks and hits per inning pitch, which means he's getting hit around more. He's giving up more hits. What's the batting average against? Let's see if we can find that stat. Um batting average against is up to 278 this year, the highest of his career. Uh, the OPS is 751, again, the highest of his career. The other thing that's concerning is that the line drive rate is up, and his ground ball rate has dropped under 40% for the first time in his career. He's at 39.8. His line drive percentage, the highest it had ever been was at 25%. It's now up at 31.1. And I think you can understand the correlation between line drives and hard hit balls, right? Line drives are definitely going to turn into more base hits, then fly balls or ground balls will. So yeah, so Quantrill, Quantrill really struggled. Really, he kind of bounced back and forth in this game. It starts off great. It gets bad in the second. It bounces back in the third. And I even tweet out what a great bounce back inning from Quantrill, especially after the Indians had tied the game. And we'll get to the Indians offense in a second. Then he comes out in that uh, fourth inning and anything he puts near the strike zone gets hit hard. Anything he gave up three hard hit balls in this inning, and uh, 
If I go over to, so he threw three balls. He only threw seven pitches in this inning. Three of them were for balls. The four in the strike zone, I believe, all get swung at here. And uh, one is uh, a fielded out. So Jake Rogers makes an out. The other ones were the single by Zach Short. And then the doubles from Harold Castro and from Akil Badu. So he throws anything near the strike zone in this inning. And they were teeing off on it. So I don't know. Is he is he tipping his pitches? Is he um, is he just nibbling around the zone? And when he actually comes into the zone, they're ready for it. Whatever it is, it clearly shows to me, based on uh, based on pitch location here and based on the results, that by attacking the strike zone, he would had a more effective inning. When he was dancing around the zone, when he finally came into the zone, he was getting hit. So. Attack, attack, attack has to be the mantra from Cal Quantrill. And it was like that for all the Indians pitchers. They really, uh, it just felt like they weren't attacking the zone yesterday. Um, Brian Shaw struggled again to throw strikes. Uh, He was missing wide with his cutter, pulling his cutter across the zone. And uh, he had a few guys uh, that he could have... uh, taken out. You know, he had a few guys where he was ahead in the count and he was just missing with his cutter wide, pulling everything across the zone. Blake Parker was all over the place with his curveball, could not locate his curveball at all. And uh, even Trevor Steffen was, uh, he attacked the zone fairly well, at least I could say about Trevor Steffen. Uh, What was Steffen? Although he got hit around hard too. So uh, it doesn't really go well for any Indians pitching in that first game. Uh, Mayton is the only one that comes into this game and does not uh, does not get hit around hard. So uh, that's your Indians pitching storyline, and uh, obviously there's a lot to cover here from cover here from two games. The big storyline on offense: if I were to tell you that the Cleveland Indians hit four home runs yesterday and the Tigers hit none in the first game. Would you believe that the Tigers won 9-4? to 9-4. to four. Why? Because they were getting on base. They were putting our pitchers in uncomfortable situations, and they were getting on base. Meanwhile, the Indians are over here hitting a solo home run in each of the first four innings. If you could have gotten somebody on base ahead of that, maybe drawn a walk. The Indians, by the way, do not draw a walk. I believe, in either game. 14 innings of baseball, and the Indians can't draw one walk off of Tigers pitching. That is sad. That is really sad. We walked five Tigers in that first game, and we walked one, two, three, four, five Tigers in the second game. And guess what? They put together some really good rallies against us. So, yeah. The home runs were great. Cesar Hernandez launches one of the seats in right field. Jose Ramirez gets a really lucky shot down the uh, right field line. What was the expected batting average on this home run? I remember someone tweeting it out. It was ridiculous. Yeah, the expected batting average based on ballpark factors and outfielders and where the location of the ball landed was at .090. That means this should have never been a hit. 
only in progressive field to that one spot. The distance was 344. The launch angle was 41 degrees. That is a moonshot that just sneaks inside the foul pole at progressive field. And then Bobby Bradley, you have his two solo home runs off into the bleachers in left field, and they were awesome. And I tweeted out when Bobby Bradley is going to the opposite field, the the power dynamic is incredible. And when him and Fermil Reyes are going opposite field back-to-back in this lineup, it's going to be really fun. But with nobody on base in front of him, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He leads off the second with a home run. 107 mile per hour exit velocity, 430 feet to the bleachers. This one, a no doubt about it. Expected batting average 950 on that one. Where is that not? How's that not? 430 feet, that's a thousand, that's a hundred percent home run. And then comes back in the fourth inning again to tie the game. Again, 107.2, 403 feet on this one. So yeah, Bobby Bradley was doing the work, but with nobody on base in front of him. Goes for not. And then the offense is just quiet for the last three innings. Ground out, ground out, ground out in the fifth. Uh, strikeout, strikeout, ground out in the sixth. Uh, we fought. Oh, I take that back. One walk. Bradley Zimmer walked. How did I miss that in the box score? Bradley Zimmer with one walk in the seventh, but then the next three batters get set down. And at that point, it was nine to four. The chances of a comeback were slim to none. The win probability was buried in the in the Tigers' favor. And that's your first game. So the Indians, despite an enormous display of power, instead of the top, you know, the top distances on the day, the top exit velocities on the day, get shut down. And Urania, who probably doesn't feel good about giving up four home runs, gets to hit the showers knowing that his team won. Now he only lasts three and a third, so Funkhauser actually gets the win, but can at least hit the showers knowing that he set his team up to win. So, That is your storylines from game one. Game two, things go from bad to worse. And the Indians just mount no offense in this game. Three hits. Three hits in the whole freaking game. Cesar Hernandez had a single. And then Ernie Clement in the second inning has a single. And Bradley Zimmer triples off the outfield wall to drive him in from first. And that is it. That is it. That's that's not good enough. That is just not good enough. I mean, this is the Detroit Tigers. This is Willie Peralta we're talking about. We made Willie Peralta look like a star. Five innings pitched, three hits, one unearned run. They consider that an unearned run because it skipped away? I mean, they still gave him credit for a triple. How is it an unearned run? If Bradley Zimmer gets a triple... And Ernie Clement was on via a hit. How is it an unearned run? That makes no sense. And uh, no walks, five strikeouts. He does get hard hit a bunch of times. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. But nothing to actually show for it. So, the Cleveland Indians... It's like it's like they just gave up, right? After that first game, there was just nothing here. Bobby Bradley strikes out twice. Uh, they weren't they weren't getting killed on the strikeouts. Rene Rivera strikes out twice. I think almost everybody in the lineout, except for Bradley Zimmer, doesn't strike out. That's shocking. 
We showed on Monday night what we could do against Tigers pitching, right? We showed what this offense has in the tank. But then to come out on this doubleheader, and especially to the Tigers, a team that is designed for the Indians to beat up on and to rack up wins in the Central Division, instead we lose a doubleheader. We end up losing the series to the Detroit Tigers. That is just, that is brutal stuff right there. So we lose the series to the Tigers. We lost the series before to the Minnesota Twins. We split the series with the Cubs, and we lose the series to the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, this is a period of the season where we should be racking up the wins, and instead we basically lose four series in a row. And now we have to face Houston and Tampa Bay. I mean, that's just... That's not good enough. That's just not good enough from the Cleveland Indians. They had to take advantage of this time period. And if the Indians end up, you know, at the end of the season, four or five games back in the Central, if they end up four or five games back in the wild card, we will look at this period of time and think this is where they let the season go. While all the pitchers were out, injured, while uh, some of your big hitters were out injured, the season slipped away from us. And uh, it, hurt. It, it hurts to talk about this this morning. It, it, God, man, they should have taken advantage of this Tiger series. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the pitching from that second game because Logan Allen makes his glorious return to progressive field to the Indians' rotation, and it could have gone a lot worse. It actually wasn't that bad. He actually was throwing. I started out pretty rough. I'm pretty sure he walked the very first batter of the game. And this is a guy who the last time was on the mound literally could not get the ball in the strike zone. It was, it was amazing that a major league pitcher was having that much trouble throwing strikes. And he comes out and he walks Robbie Grossman to start the game. And you're thinking, oh boy, oh boy, here we go. Then he gets Jonathan Scope to ground into a double play, and he gets Candelario to ground out to end the inning. And suddenly you're like, okay, he's settling down. This actually, this actually might be manageable here. And uh, what does he do on the day? Logan Allen, let's see here. He throws 71 pitches, 40 were for strikes. So not as not as good as Quantrill even, only a 56% strike rate there. Um, so not as good as uh, as Quantrill did in the first game, but he has a little bit more uh, luck, basically. Uh, does a little bit better. Now gets into it in the second inning, right? Really gets into it in the second inning. They put up two runs on him in the second inning. And uh, Miguel Cabrera singles off him, goes opposite field. Miguel Cabrera was on fire. Uh, this whole series, Miguel Cabrera was on fire. Uh, Daz Cameron then lines out. Uh, he walks Eric Haas, and that would prove costly. Zach Short would hit a sack fly. That would bring in Miguel Cabrera. And then uh, Willie Castro would double, and that would bring in your second run. So one of those walks does come back to bite him, and Haas scores on the Castro double. He then strikes out Derek Hill, though, to get out of it and limit the damage. Uh, ground out, strikeout, fly out in the third inning. 
and then in the fourth inning, after getting a fly out from a Cabrera and Daz Cameron strikes out, he gives up a home run to Eric Haas. And Eric Haas absolutely demolishes this ball. 113 mile per hour exit velocity, 442 feet, 1,000 expected batting average. So yeah, so it gets pretty rough for him in that uh, in that fourth inning. But I gotta say, it could have been so much worse, right? It absolutely could have been so much worse. Um, let's go over to the breakdown and let's see what pitches were working for him and what pitches weren't. And uh, the four-seam fastball wasn't getting any whiffs on it, but was at least getting some called strikes. The curveball was effective. It was up to a 38% CSW. Now, he lay, he relied on the fastball a lot. 31 fastballs, 16 curves, 13 changes, and 11 sliders. Uh, the slider he was missing, if I go back over to the illustrator, he was missing a ton with that slider. Throwing it down across the zone wasn't challenging hitters with the slider the way we saw Quantrill doing it, right? So probably a pretty easy pitch for them to lay off. The curveball and the changeup he was attacking the zone with, and the fastball he was attacking the zone with a little bit more, based on you know what the illustrator is showing me here. Uh, so the curveball was effective, 38% CSW, only 23% CSW on the fastball. The changeup was not effective, uh, 15%, although a lot of foul balls. Only two changeups were put in play. And then the slider, uh, there were only three swings on the slider, only one called strike on 11 of them. I'm guessing the rest of them missed. Obviously, the rest of them missed as balls. So wasn't really effective with his slider either. It's good for a 25% CSW total on the day. And uh, honestly, they just weren't being that aggressive because they know how much he struggles throwing strikes. Only 28 swings on 71 pitches. Whereas against Cal Quantrill, they were much more aggressive. 34 swings on 67 pitches. So yeah, uh, Logan Allen actually was serviceable yesterday. And for a guy who's been struggling down in AAA, who, you know, went, I think he went on the AAA IL for a few weeks uh, with some arm problems. I mean, his ERA was ridiculous down in AAA. And for him to come back and actually give a respectable three and two thirds is not the worst thing in the world. Now, uh, the offense had absolutely nothing to show. Classe gets blown up in the sixth inning. He gives up. Uh, a big hit, a big bases clearing hit in the sixth inning and gives up three runs in that inning. So uh, not everybody had a great day. Uh, who got that big hit? Uh, Zach Short doubled, Derek Hill, Jonathan Scope had a big single that drove in those runs. So yeah, so not a great inning for uh, for Classe. And I was at the classic like closer in a nine save situation. He was trying to get everybody work, obviously spread the workout amongst everybody because of the doubleheader. And uh, yeah, for whatever reason, it did not work for Classe yesterday. Uh, Karinchek does shut him down in the uh, in the seventh, but at that point, it didn't matter because the Indians were just bringing nothing to the table. Uh, they did hard hit Willie Peralta. I can at least give the Indians credit for that. Um, three, six, nine hard hits against Willie Peralta. Logan Allen only gave gave up three hard hit balls. So, I, I mean, there's something. I'm trying to find some silver lining 
to yesterday. I'm trying to find something we can take away from yesterday. And Logan Allen being serviceable is about all I got. All right, so we got to face Houston now. It's going to be Mejia on the mound against Valdez for the Astros. Valdez, who's pitching very well this season, 4-1 with a 2-11 ERA. And uh, the Indians need, boy, they need to rise to the level of their competition, don't they? After sinking to the level of their competition for the last two weeks, seemingly, sinking below the level of their competition, they really need to rise to the level of their competition. The other thing, the other thing we got to talk about is uh, uh, Jose Ramirez fouling that ball off of his face. An incredible feat of physics. He swings at an inside pitch, and if you didn't see it, the ball leaps off the handle of his bat and shoots straight up, catches him on the cheek, catches him right under the flap of the helmet. Um, I mean, it's a glancing blow, so that's probably... I mean, obviously, it hurt. But, I mean, taking a taking a fastball to the eye socket or something like that to the cheekbone probably would have been much worse outcome than fouling the ball off. At least, at least it was a glance... Like I said, at least it was a glancing blow and not a real direct shot into his eye. And uh, so he goes down. I'm sure it was uncomfortable. I'm sure he's going to have a heck of a shiner. And I'm sure he's had ice bags on it for like the last 12 hours. But uh, it sounds like from everything, he's going to be okay. So you could see in that second game, the offense without Jose Ramirez in there is no offense at all. It's just no offense at all. So the fact that he's all right, he's probably going to have a really nice bruise over that eye. And uh, he should be in the lineup tonight. There shouldn't be anything holding him back tonight except for some pretty good pain. Some pretty good pain. Who knows? Maybe they'll get him one of those uh, one of those NBA face masks or something like that that he could wear up to the plate. Um, and then he could have the dramatic moment where he yanks the thing off and then drops 40 points. Uh, so, yeah. So, Jose Ramirez will hopefully be back in the lineup after a scary moment there. Uh, anything else from this game? Uh, these two games? Not really. Not really. The, the uh, outfield defense wasn't what I expected it to be with Oscar Mercado out there and left. He doesn't do anything in his uh, showing. He actually pinch hit in the second game and struck out in that at bat. So I think he had two strikeouts on the day uh, in probably, what, four at bats? For Oscar Mercado, let's see here. One at bat in the second game where he strikes out. And in the first game, he goes 0 for 3 with a strikeout. So, yep. So, he's 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. I told you he wasn't striking out down in uh, AAA. And he, what does he do? He comes up here and he strikes out twice. So, not a great start for Oscar Mercado. I'm sure he would have liked to have delivered something in his first game back. But he's going to get a little bit of a runway here. The Indians have not been quick to pull the trigger on anybody. So he's going to get a little bit of a runway here. MVP for the day. Ooh, I'm going Bobby Bradley. I know he didn't do anything in the second game, but those were two monster home runs in that first game, both to the opposite field. And uh, he needed that because it, it felt like he had slipped into a little bit of a slump. So 265 batting average, 995 OPS. Obviously, it's still a small sample size for Bobby Bradley. So that OPS and that batting average are going to jump based on whether he has a good day or a bad day. But 
I believe that leads, yeah, that leads the team in OPS. So uh, it's it's working with Bobby Bradley. It really, really makes me wonder what him starting the season here would have done for him. Would he have gotten through that early up and down roller coaster uh, that seems to affect most players, right? If a guy comes up from AAA and starts really hot, it feels like they're destined to have this lull where they drop back down to earth. And uh, is Bobby Bradley coming back out of that, right? Leveling back off to what Bobby Bradley could be. If he's a 265 with a 995 OPS hitter for the rest of his career, totally fine with that. Totally fine. The power is worth it, and the 265, frankly, is respectable in this day and age. I mean, Jose Ramirez is hitting 265 with an 884 OPS. And we think he belongs on the All-Star team, right? Probably does. I hope he gets there. I hope he gets there. He's going to have to get there as a replacement player, but, you know, as, as a bench player. But who else are they going to pull from this team to put on the All-Star game? They got to pull somebody. So, yeah. So, uh, Bobby Bradley, MVP for the day. All right. That's all my thoughts. It's... I'm not feeling it this morning. I'm not feeling good about any of this. It was a... Crappy night to watch Indians baseball. I would have much rather watched a day game, a morning game, and then settle in for the night game. I don't know why they tried, why they even bothered to squeeze in two games last night. Um, All right. So, again, the finals from Progressive Field. The Indians get swept in the doubleheader by the Tigers. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>